Hello ladies and lads and welcome back to Hollow Leg History. Sorry for the absence the last couple of days. I uh, was a bit sick with a sort of head cold type of thing. Um, symptoms weren't too bad but it made it really hard to focus and concentrate. Anyways, today's date is October the 18th. We've got quite a few good ones so without further ado let's get in. Starting off in 1851 Moby Dick is published for the first time. The epic, written by American novelist Herman Melville, is about a sailor's obsession with tracking down and killing an elusive whale that took his leg in a previous encounter. The book was published as The Whale in London for the first time, and then a month later as Moby Dick in the United States. It is thought to be one of the best works of fiction written in modern times. Moving on to 1867, the U.S. formally takes possession of Alaska after purchasing the territory from Russia for $7.2 or less than two cents an acre. The Alaska purchase comprised 586,000 square miles, about twice the size of Texas, and was championed by William Henry Seward, the enthusiastically expansionist Secretary of State under President Andrew Johnson. Russia wanted to sell its Alaska territory, which was remote, sparsely populated, and difficult to defend, to the U.S. rather than risk it losing it in a battle with a rival such as Great Britain. The American public believed the land to be barren and worthless, and dubbed the purchase Seward's Folly and Andrew Johnson's Polar Bear Garden, among other derogatory names. Public opinion of the purchase turned more favorable when gold was discovered in a tributary of Alaska's Klondike River in 1896, sparking a gold rush. Today, 25% of America's oil and over 50% of its seafood come from Alaska. The name Alaska is derived from the Aleut word of Alyeska, which means great land, and hopefully I didn't butcher either of those. Moving on to 1898, we have another U.S. takeover of a territory, as the U.S. takes control of Puerto Rico. Only one year after Spain granted Puerto Rico self-rule, American troops will raise the U.S. flag over the Caribbean nation, formalizing U.S. authority over the island's one million inhabitants. Earlier in the year, in July 1898, near the end of the Spanish-American War, U.S. forces had launched an invasion of Puerto Rico, the 108-mile-long, 40-mile-wide island that was one of Spain's two principal possessions in the Caribbean. With little resistance and only seven American deaths, U.S. troops were able to secure the island by mid-August. After the signing of an armistice with Spain, the island was turned over to U.S. forces on October 18th, today. U.S. General John R. Brooke became military governor, and in December, the Treaty of Paris was signed, ending the Spanish-American War and officially approving the secession of Puerto Rico to the United States. And finally, in 1968, two days after sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos stood atop the Olympic medal stand and raised their fists in a, quote, black power salute, they are suspended from the U.S. team and banned from Mexico City's Olympic Village. Their civil rights protest draws both criticism and praise. Smith and Carlos had won gold and bronze medals respectively in the 200-meter running event of the 1968 Summer Olympics, 
and turned to face the U.S. flag and then kept their hands raised until the national anthem had finished wearing black gloves. In addition, Smith Carlos and Australian silver medalist Peter Norman all wore human rights badges on their jackets. The International Olympic Committee, IOC, President Avery Brundage, deemed it to be a domestic political statement unfit for the apolitical international forum of the Olympic Games. In response to their actions, he ordered Smith and Carlo suspended from the U.S. team and banned from the Olympic Village. The U.S. Olympic Committee initially refused, so Brundage threatened to ban the entire U.S. track team, which led to the expulsion of the two athletes from the Games. A spokesman for the IOC said Smith and Carlos's actions were, quote, a deliberate and violent breach of the fundamental principles of the Olympic spirit, end quote. How raising a hand up during a national anthem is violent, I don't know, but Brundage, who was uh, the president of the United States Olympic Committee in 1936, had made no objections against the Nazi salutes during the Berlin Olympics. His argument went that the Nazi salute was a national salute at the time and was acceptable in a competition of nations, while the athlete's salute was not a nation and therefore was unacceptable. Smith and Carlos were largely ostracized by the U.S. sporting establishment and were subject to harsh criticism. Time magazine on October 25, 1968 wrote, quote, Faster, higher, stronger is the motto of the Olympic Games. Angrier, nastier, uglier, better described the scene in Mexico City last week, end quote. Back home, both Smith and Carlos were subject to abuse, and they and their families received death threats. Brent Musburger, a writer for the Chicago American before rising to prominence at CBS Sports and then later ESPN, described Smith and Carlos as, quote, a couple of black-skinned stormtroopers who were ignoble, juvenile, and unimaginative, end quote. That'll wrap up some of the notable events in today's date. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did going over it. It's good to get back into the swing of things. If you did enjoy, I'd encourage you to give us a follow and share and help spread the word. I'd like to thank you all for listening. This is The Hollow Leg, signing off.